0: You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going?
1: David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. I'll give you an update on my uh, on my pool. That the uh, getting the chemicals balanced is kind of tough. I should have watched more YouTube videos or more tutorials before I impulsively bought a uh, a pool on Amazon. But I'm I'm figuring it out.
1: Like, what what problems are you having?
0: Just getting the chlorine right. It gets a little like. You feel a little slime layer at the bottom. It's not green yet or anything, but uh the, I'm fighting the algae. Yeah.
1: That's 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 good. Um, I when you said I want to give you an update on my pool, I didn't know if it like pops the top part or something, but no. I'm glad that didn't luckily, happen.
0: Luckily not. No, he's really enjoying it actually. Awesome. How about for you? How was your uh how's your week been?
1: Uh it's been good. Um, outside of the fact that we went to a wedding in Connecticut. The wedding itself was good. Um, but the day after was not. I was not feeling well for a certain reason that's not uh, COVID-19. However, after that, my wife got COVID-19. So uh, there's a good chance that I'm going to get it maybe in the next couple of days, but you know, fingers crossed.
0: You said you tested negative so far. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. I I
1: tested negative yesterday when she tested positive. She's been coughing all day. She feels fine. Like I'm not, I'm not worried or anything like that, but like I am wondering if I cough or something, it's just a natural cough or it's like me just feeling like assuming a yeah. yeah. worst or something like that. But
0: then you have to worry about all that. You've been working from home anyways, mostly, right? So is that.
1: Yeah, I've only been working from home. Uh, um, but yeah, anyway, I, ha- I had a good time at the wedding. So it was, it was all good. But David, I see that you have an update uh, from the walled garden for us.
0: I do. So I wanted to mention that um, those, the meetups that we have, because yeah, they're free to the public to, we have Thursday meetups. They're 6 p.m. Eastern time. So U.S. Eastern. And on July 28th is uh, the author, Sharon LaBelle. I really enjoy her. She's one of my favorite people. Uh, She's doing a talk, talking about um, Edith Egger, who is a psychologist, who as a child, she was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, She's a really interesting woman that Sharon will be talking about. We're kind of talking about people who have really influenced us. And then the following week is me talking about, uh, it's August 4th, I'll be talking about Albert Ellis, who's the founder of Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. And he's just one of my favorite people in psychology. He's a very sarcastic pain in the ass. And uh, he also founded Cognitive Behavior Therapy. So. I enjoy his writing and I'll be talking about him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm definitely going to be there to listen in. Um, yeah. Maybe you should include the link in our show notes afterwards, just in case anybody yeah. else wants to join.
0: Put the links you can find it. Yeah. The events on thewalledgarden.com. And then also you can listen on the podcast. Usually a couple of weeks later, we really, they release some of those talks as a podcast episode, too, if you miss it.
1: Yeah. Or, no, uh, that. That's awesome, and I like. I, I know. I've, I think I mentioned this previously on the uh, podcast, but I, I go through a cognitive behavioral therapy with my therapist, and I found it very yeah. helpful. So it's going to be interesting to hear what he has to say, um, or it's yeah. going to be interesting to hear what you have to say. He has to say, but um, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Oh yeah, no. The, the idea that he's really inf- that Albert Ellis was really influenced by Stoicism. So this idea that modern cognitive behavior therapy is kind of learning Stoic philosophy in a way, but a way that's made like in the American psychiatry medical model. It's a very interesting topic to me.
1: No, that's awesome. Um, and then, uh, and the, I think I told you, uh, uh, earlier today that I purchased Marcus Aurelius his book I meditations, think he was like a, yeah. meditations. Yeah. He was a Roman yeah. emperor and, uh, I think you mentioned that that was like one of the uh, that's like one of the favorite books of like modern day stoics like they look to that as like you know wisdom in how they want to live their lives so I'm going to start reading that relatively soon
0: A lot of people look at it as his like guide to life but he never wrote it as a guide to life it's just his journal it's just his writing down what helped him but he is writing about all the authors and stoic philosophers who taught him how to yeah how to survive being the emperor of Rome and uh and not go crazy
1: yeah which i i think for today's fast paced world it's something that maybe we can all find wisdom in if we were like able to read it so hopefully i can find something to bring to the podcast i know you've been probably uh discussing a lot of the primary talking points already um but it's good for me to have that kind of a additional context
0: there's something you know as you're mentioning that something as we're talking about the myth today this idea is it's a virtue in the havamal but it's also a virtue for the stoics is a moderation or self-discipline um I'll I'll tie that in later. Yeah, because that's very relevant. (laughs) And then I wanted to make sure we answered this fan question. It was something that came over the break after we finished season one. Uh, Somebody reached out to us through Instagram and had a really great question about, they're interested in the idea of uh, Christian angels, the angels in Christianity. And they're like, how are angels, you know, do they show up in Norse mythology? How are they represented at all? And so Sean, I'll let, I want to see what your thoughts are on it at first. And then I'll say what I had uh, had sent a message back to this fan earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And as far as like angels, and I know you, I saw these on the show notes. So I tried to kind of like gather some of my notes, uh, you know, really quickly before we started recording the the two beings, I guess, that came to mind were the Einarhar and then the Valkyries. So the Einarhar are the slain heroes or the, or the dead warriors who were slain in battle who live in Valhalla with Odin. So they, they feast every day. They, they fight every day. They feast every night. And they are his adopted sons, as I mentioned. And that pretty much sums them up. You'll see them in both the Prosetta and the Poetic Edda. But I also mentioned a, another poem in my solo episode on the historical Sons of Odin, where I talked about the Viking, who was a king of Norway at one point, and then the king of York in England, or the king of Northumbria in England, Eric Bloodaxe. In this poem, Odin himself is preparing Valhalla for a feast for the arrival of Eric Bloodaxe, who apparently just died in battle. So I thought it was cool you could look at a historical figure like Eric Bloodaxe and, um, I guess, assume that he is now one of the Einherjar if, like Valhalla, was to exist if the story was correct. And then in that poem, it also mentions that two warriors—it's actually a father and son, Sigmund and Sinfjoltzli who are also present in Valhalla. Sigmund and Sinfieldsley are two members of the family of Volsung. So we are going to discuss them when we discuss the saga of the Volsungs.
0: It's interesting to think of, maybe it's almost a little bit like becoming a saint. If you get to become an Einarhar, if you make it to Valhalla, you're kind of like a saint or, or an angel. You're like God's favored children, right? Uh, yeah. I never thought of the Einarhar that way. That's good.
1: Yeah. And um, I guess they, they are chosen, but then I know in our episode on uh, Grimness Mall, we discussed uh, Folkvang, which is Freya's uh, Hall of the Dead. And yeah. we don't really know too much about them. However, yeah. you can also assume that the members of Folkvang, since Freya gets half of the dead yeah. or half of the slain, go there. You can assume that angel or like what would be angels live there as well. Yeah. So moving on to the Valkyries, um, those are women who choose. Odin's warriors from the slain so they they um choose the Einarhar from battlefields they also serve drinks to the Einarhar in Valhalla and so a couple of a few people are mentioned in like the Proced and the Poetic Edda. one being Brynhild who we also will read about in the Saga of the Volsungs I believe she well she is a love interest of Sigurd the ja- Dragon Slayer. And then the Valkyries are also mentioned in a poem I briefly discussed in a previous episode called Voland Arkthitha. I, I know I did a horrible job of, of pronouncing that, but um, in that story, the main character is an elf named Voland, and one of his his wife, before the story actually starts, is a Valkyrie. And him and his friends like run across like three Valkyries, they marry them, so Valkyries in this case are married. Um, usually,
0: usually the Valkyries don't get married, but that's a major part of uh, Wagner's opera. Uh, the ring of uh, the Nibelung is about a Valkyrie getting married. Yeah. That, and no, it causes oh. all kinds of problems. Yeah.
1: Well, there we go. And, and they're also, they're often brides. Um, but any, any, you know, any person I'm sure is excited to get married at some point. So it's great. It's good that the Valkyries have that ability. Yeah. But I think it's also just like a good, it's a good way for like, if you're telling a story to say, oh, and this person was a Valkyrie, they are, you know, a kick-ass like woman. Just like if you're writing a saga or something, you could say, Oh, and then Egil went up to battle and he fought this like bloodthirsty berserker or something. And it's just kind of a way to like say, Oh, this person's badass, like berserker or uh, Valkyrie or something like that.
0: Yeah. And as I've read different like modern books talking about Vikings, the idea of Valkyries comes up a lot that in some ways they sound a little bit like guardian angels, that you're out on the battlefield and they're kind of watching you but then they're a little like the grim reapers too that they decide <laughs> they decide if you live or die right so that's one way they're kind of like angels i would and say they're
1: and they're probably they're probably re, like they're probably ex, ex, excuse me odin probably expects them to ch- have people die or choose like because they, they need to choose the slain so odin has his yeah. army for ragnarok Well,
0: and they're supposed to choose the ones that he wants chosen and if they just dis- that's another one from wagner's opera if the valkyrie disagrees with odin that causes problems so yeah <laughs> there you but, go um, um, last then, l-
1: well, last thing really quick here okay. in Voluspa stands uh, stanza thirty. This dead sirus mentions the name of some Valkyries who are ready to ride to Earth, where you can assume they are ready to ride to Earth to you know choose members of the slain. And those those Valkyries are Skolb, Skogul, Gunn, Hild, Gondul, and then Gerskogul. Um, So that's what I had. No,
0: and the only other two I had are ones. I'm not sure if in the myths they formally talk about disir spirits, but that's something I've seen in like. Reading about Asatrú or Heathenism, that it's these different kinds of spirits. Some of them are maybe actually like a hereditary spirit. It's like your guardian angel. That, you know, let's say your, your grandma or your grandpa had a guardian angel, and now it's the same one following you. That that's uh, something you get to inherit is one idea I've read about in the sort of the the spirituality that surrounds uh, the mythology. And then what also comes to my mind is Alfheim, right? Because we really don't know much about the light elves that are in Alfheim. But are they these kind of angelic figures, beings of light, who are all good, right? That sounds like the Christian idea of angels uh, to some extent. And then, then we have the fallen angels. Maybe that's kind of the idea of what's going on in uh, Niflheim. <laughs> Those are a little more my theories, or uh, not not directly from a myth, mythological well, source. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned the light elves because um, in Locusena, which I know I've I've we're going to talk about for every episode until we actually have an episode on Lokusena, Um I have something from uh, that poem that I'm going to mention later, but the elves are present among the gods. And in in Locus Center, they're in Aegir's Hall, Aegir being the the party god or the god that hosts parties. And the light elves are there, or the elves are there. And you can assume that they are kind of like servants or something, but they must be very special to be in the presence of the gods as well. But no, I love that question. That's really good.
0: Yeah, no, it was such a great question. And I uh, I spent a little time answering it. And then I'm like, this, we should, good topic for the show, right? But (laughs) let me throw it to you. So now for the the topic for this week, Sean.
1: Awesome. It's about time. Just kidding. Um, In last week's episode, we discussed the myth of the giant Thiazi and his ambitious goal to manipulate the gods Odin, Honir, but primarily Loki, to obtain the special apples of youth belonging to the goddess Idun. So to briefly summarize last week's story, the giant Thiazi offered to spare Loki's life if he would arrange for Thiazi to kidnap the goddess, Idun. Once Idun was kidnapped, the gods begin to age, and then they correctly blame Loki as being the cause of it. So they force Loki to get Idun back. He successfully does, which results in Thiazi chasing them back to Asgard, where the gods kill him. But the gods ultimately get the apples back, and they were able to remain young. So in this week's story... This week's story features the daughter of Thiazi, whose name is Skadi. Skadi is pretty pissed off because her father passed, and she plans to go to Asgard, where she most likely has some words that could be considered a tad less friendly than a party invitation.
0: And that's, I've uh, definitely figured out that I've, I have no idea why I've been pronouncing it Skaldi with an L. That is <laughs> that D that can be pronounced as a TH, so it could be Skadthi, but um, we'll go with Skadi yeah, let's go with Skitty.
1: Yeah. And I'm sure you're, you might be right. I think, I feel like your, your voice, your voice is a little bit deeper than mine. You're able to like have that scud the, that maybe is what old Norse sounded like. Who knows?
0: If you don't fully pronounce it, then it sounds like Scotty and her name is not Scotty. So I'm just going to go with Skitty. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, that's, that can be uh that we'll save that for an episode where we have nothing else to talk about. So we have like a Norse pathology slash Star Trek, uh you know, crossover episode, but awesome. So anyway, since this this episode this story is a sequel to last week's, it is also going to be found in Scott Scoppermull um, from the Prosetta. So we can go ahead and get started. So the daughter of the recently slain giant thiazi Skady, donned her war gear in an effort to go to Asgard to avenge her father, who was killed by the Aesir, as I just mentioned. It mentions that the Aesir that were nearby uh, killed thiazi However, we also made a note that in the poem Harbard's Laud, Thor mentions that he was the one that killed Thiazi. So maybe Thor was there and he delivered the final, or the fatal blow, I should say, which would match his reputation as a giant slayer. And the story mentions that Thiazzi wore her helmet, her coat of mail, and her weapons of war.
0: Is that Skates, um was wearing a helmet and a coat of mail? It's like emphasizing that she's a warrior, is that?
1: I would imagine, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. That's what I've heard about her, yeah.
1: So Skadi is on her way to Asgard. Upon her arrival, the Aesir, however, proposed terms of peaceful reconciliation. The first term of which is that she would have the honor of marrying an Aesir god of her choosing. However, for some reason, the but, in quotes, being that she could only choose her groom to be solely by their feet. So maybe, and I made a joke here, maybe the Aesir figured that she was into that sort of thing.
0: This feels like another Loki plot, that Loki's like, you can marry anybody you want, but you can only look at their feet, right? That's just, that sounds like a Loki. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Loki might have a kink for feet. Uh, I don't know. Is it skinny yeah. or is it Loki, right? Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. And I think it, it could be either one of them based on something else that's going to happen later in the story as well. So the gods supposedly lined up with a sheet or something over their faces and most of their bodies, only exposing their bare feet. Skadi noticed that the feet of one god was especially beautiful or were especially beautiful. She knew of the beauty of the god Baldr and had hoped that she would be able to marry him. So she assumed that because the feet were beautiful, they surely belonged to the beautiful Baldr. However, they actually belonged to Njord from Notun. Njord is the sea god. So you can make the case that him being in the sea often would make his feet clean, thus looking beautiful. So she ended up being betrothed to Njord and not Boulder.
0: And one other significant thing there, right? That that Balder is the legitimate son of Odin from Frigg. So really, then, like that Skadi would be the the next queen in line, kind of right, to to get him. And I didn't
1: then, think I didn't think about that. That's definitely yeah. spices up the uh, the terms if she correctly chose chose Balder instead of Njord.
0: Right. And then the that Njord, yeah, that he has pretty feet. And uh, I won't talk too much about him, but the fact that Njord is kind of feminine, he comes from uh, Vanaheim, right? The uh, Instead of the Aesir, the Vanir, it's yeah. Frey and Freya's uh, father, right? So I, I won't go too far on that one, but in the future, we'll talk about why. Why is it significant that Njord is a little bit feminine? He has very pretty feet, yeah. That's, <laughs> it's not for no reason. They put it there for a reason, right?
1: Yeah. Well, of course, yeah. Um, so anyway, that was the first term of the gods making... Peace with Skatie, whose father they killed. The second term was that the Aesir would need to make Skady, Scotty laugh, and now you're making me now you're making me say Scotty. They would That's need correct. to make Skatie laugh. <laughs> so note that she was in the state where she was pissed off that her father was killed by the Aesir, and she just missed an opportunity to marry the beautiful Boulder. So this would not be an easy task. So. If you remember from last week, Loki was the creator of all of this mess in the first place. And as we discussed last week, and I've said many times uh, previously, Loki is the cause of and solution to all of the Aesir's problems. But as, the, as Loki is the solution in this case, again, Loki's idea was to tie the end of a cord to the beard of a goat and the other end of the cord around his own balls to which he pretty much played a game of tug-of-war with the goat using the cord.
0: The, the Loki's uh, like the court jester. I don't know if that's been obvious before, but now we see it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I know this where this is uh, ultimately going to go. Uh, this is where it's going to lead to. I know where this is going to go based on uh, some previous comments you made, but we can get to that in a second. So anyway, both Loki and the goat squealed in pain as they both pulled, until Loki eventually fell backwards into Skate's lap lap. Causing her to laugh, so the Aesir's terms to Skatey were then satisfied, and Skadi was satisfied with the repayment after her father Thiazi had been killed.
0: Yeah, so this is one is just hilarious, right? It like reminds me of uh, Bob Saget and the uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. People are constantly getting kicked in the balls. Like, I mean, that's mostly mostly what the story is, right? Sure. But again, right, we always have to find, is there is there something deeper? Is there some kind of a deeper wisdom here besides just it's a very, very funny scene. Um, and so Sean, you know where you know where I'm going? Where am I going, Sean? A
1: phallus sacrifice. And this is, is not yeah. Loki's phallus, but it's it's close.
0: It's close, right? And that is so for people who maybe didn't pay close as close attention to season one or they haven't heard that uh, little segment for a while, this idea, what what, yeah, why does this thing keep coming up? the idea of a phallus sacrifice. What does that even represent or the sacrificial phallus? It's like an image you see show up places. What does that all mean? Um, One way to think of it is what is the greatest sacrifice, the the, the greatest sacrifice you can give to God, right? So in in the Bible, it is um, Abraham and his son, Isaac. It has nothing to do with the phallus. It's just that he's going to sacrifice his son, right? But that, uh, and then it's at the last minute, God's like, no, just kidding. You don't have to kill your son, right? But it's that And then, but then the tradition that comes out of, you know, sort of that that culture is circumcision, right? It's sort of a pseudo castration. It's not actually, but it's almost, right? It's symbolically something. Why is that needed, right? It's that, well, what's the, the, what makes it a good sacrifice? It's a thing you don't want to sacrifice, right? Like if you're just putting $5 in the collection plate, it didn't hurt very much. But when you put $500, now that really hurt, right? And then beyond your property, what is it that hurts more, right? And it's your, Your child, or your future, or something like that, right? It gets very uh, go places with it, right? But so again, that that Loki doesn't actually sacrifice his phallus; it's a uh, pseudo (laughs) castration, right? He's that he's willing to is what satisfies the goddess, and she's like appeased that that was an adequate sacrifice. So, besides just that, it's funny; it's that, uh, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. And I'm wondering, like, if I know we've in previous episodes um, when we discuss like the the story arcs of Odin and Thor. I know I've talked about, uh, you know, a couple of times about like what it means to like destroy who you are or destroy part of yourself as a part of that sacrifice. Like you have Odin, like literally taking part of his body off and sacrificing it, like his eye, um, which, as you mentioned, is like losing something very valuable. Thor, like I know we've talked about um, him, kind of sacrificing this, like I guess this um, persona of this, like f- like Jim Jimbrat. Br- Like this uh, this 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 macho,
0: this macho persona, yes, yeah,
1: this macho gym goer who, uh, like would never like put a wedding dress on, but he ended up having to put a wedding dress on, and he destroyed figuratively who he was in an effort to get what he needed at the time. And I'm wondering if like this is this could be considered part of like what could be Loki's story arc in him actually destroying part of who he is, make up for something. Make up for who he is, if that makes sense. With Loki, it's always a little complicated because he is a problem to the Aesir. He causes his own problems, but then he also solves it.
0: Yeah. Loki often does like whatever's easy or whatever's convenient, right? So for him, being willing to sacrifice at all is uh, a sign of something maturing. I think that's right. Yeah. And (laughs) I'm just thinking, trying to make this make sense for the the listeners, right? Because it's a very strange idea, but going back to the, the Bible, right? With Abraham you know, his command from God is to be fruitful and multiply, but then him and his wife can't have children, but then, you know, he's like 400 years old or something, but then he gets his only child. But then God says, well, now sacrifice it, now kill your mm-hmm. son. Right. And that because he was willing to do that because he knew what's the proper sacrifice to make, then he got to be fruitful and have, you know, all of the uh, descendants basically. Yeah. So yeah. It's that uh, I, I think this, you know, this one's a lot more fun right you could have the story of uh taking his son up on the mountain and getting ready to kill him or you could have loki tie in uh, a goat to his balls so like this potentially
1: one. yeah and potentially lose them but the acr probably appreciated that he seemed willing to do so the
0: skate he certainly found it got it got a kick out of it yeah
1: yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> Anyways, the, but anyway no that that's a, I, I think that was a that's a good good note um you know yeah. on exactly what happened to loki but there was a one like additional part to the story so after after all this happened, after like uh, Skadi was satisfied, and um, you know she she like felt like the death of her father was uh, so Skadi was satisfied. However, Odin does one last thing for her. Odin casts Skadi's father Thiazi's eyes into the heavens and turns them into stars. Um, so I wanted to make one quick note here because I know I mentioned Harbert's Law earlier, which is a conversation between uh, Thor and Odin and Thor mentioning that he was actually the one that killed Fiazzi, Thor claims that he was the one that cast Thiazi's eyes into the heavens. So I find that very interesting that Thor would say that when the Prosetta in Scott Skoppermal says that Odin said that because Harbert's lot is from the Poetic Edda and Scott Skoppermal is from the Prosetta. This is most likely just like kind of a fun inconsistency between the two sources. Or maybe it's a it's a situation where the author of Harvard's Law* was just kind of confused. Sorry, man. Maybe I do have COVID. It's COVID brain. You got COVID brain. <laughs> <okay>. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, um, we're doing fine.
0: Um, I think that you're just saying that it's you know is was it really Odin who did it or was it Thor who did it, right?
1: Yeah, but I think it, it, it like goes to show that like you know whoever wrote this stuff down, we know like Snorri wrote the press Edda. We don't know who wrote the individual poems of the Poetic Edda, but it's kind of interesting that like in one story odin was the one that cast thiazi's eyes into the heavens and in another one it's thor um, it's kind
0: of interesting that transition we talked about going from like that the that thor as the hero is kind of like the young man or the adolescent and then odin is more like the king right so it's that idea that if it's one person that's on a journey right like it was in one stage of his journey it would be a thing that thor did but then this later part in the journey it's the king now deciding will throw the eyes into the heavens to uh, you know, make a, a monument, kind of, right to uh, to Thiazi. And I was noting that that's also it's a thing we know that Thor does because there was a different story where he was like talking with the sorceress trying to get the stone out of his head, and he was like letting her know that he threw her husband's toe. It got frostbit and he yeah. you know, snapped the toe off, and he threw it up into the into the stars to make the guy's toe a star. Um, so that's just a thing Thor does, right? So I don't know. In this story, it's Odin, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, really quick, from Harbard's Laud, I'm just going to kind of quote in a quote what was said in one of the stanzas. Again, I'm I'm going by Jackson Crawford's translation. Thor says, "I killed Fiazzi, the bull giant. I threw the eyes of that son of Alvaldi into the clear sky. Those are the greatest monuments to my deeds, which everybody can see ever since." So, speaking of the sons of Alvaldi, and I, I promise this is coming full circle. In our first episode on the series of Loki, Loki at first approached dwarves known as the sons of Evaldi, Evaldi with I-L-V-A-L-D-I. Last week, in our second episode in the series, we discussed how, in Harvard's Law, which I just quoted, it mentions that Thiazi was a son of Alvaldi, A-L-L-V-A-L-D-I. We also mentioned possibly another later source that mentioned that Edun was one of Evaldi's other children, Evaldi with an eye. And if Evaldi and Alvaldi were the same beings, then Edun and her captor, Thiazzi were actually siblings. So I know we, we discussed this um, briefly last week. Yeah. However, I don't believe this is actually the case because um, Evaldi is a dwarf and Alvaldi is probably a giant. So this would not be the case. But I wanted to bring this up because it's, it does tie into the final brief portion of this story that we're discussing this week in Scott's Copper Mall. So going back to the conversation between Aegir and Bragi, who are the two um, beings, or humans in this case.
0: They're our uh, narrators. Yeah.
1: yeah, we, they're, they're gods in the Norse mythology, but in this like story they're human narrators. Aegir asked Bragi about Thiazzi's origins. Bragi stated that Olvoldi was the name of Thiazis' father, Olvaldi with an O, not an A or an I. It mentions that Olvaldi was very rich and had a lot of golds. So right here, since it mentions Thiazis' father, this implies that Olvaldi with an A and Ovaldi with an O were the same being.
0: And I think, let me make sure you're not, this isn't where you're going, but that in the story where we're talking with the dwarves, I think they talked about that uh, Ivaldi had like a kingdom or a hall made out of all gold, right? Which we're like, that's this thing that fits for dwarves, that they're very rich and they have a hall yeah. made out of gold. Yeah. Uh,
1: Actually, cool. I, didn't, I didn't put that together, but that, that makes a lot yeah. of sense to kind of, you know, what I'm getting at. Yeah. So when Alvaldi died, his inheritance was divided up amongst his three sons, Thiazi, who we know of, Edi, and Gang. So those three beings would take turns taking mouthfuls of gold from Alvaldi's like treasures. And this is where what you see in Scott Scoppermall and the pro set in general, when it comes to discussing Kennings, it says this is why gold is referred to as the mouth count of the giants. So if you are reading a story and it says, Oh, yeah, and then like I uh, had to you know, buy some gum using the mouth counts of the giants, you know that you're saying you bought gum with gold. So since it says that Alvaldi had a son named Edi, which is, and I'm gonna, I'm do, doing this purpose, purposely, which is not, not, not unlike Edun. So maybe if you were to reach and say that Edi and Edun were the same beings, maybe different myths have them as different genders or something. So you could say that Alvaldi, Alvaldi, and Alvaldi are the same beings, and then we ask ourselves, is is he a god, or excuse me, is he a giant or a dwarf? This is probably not the case. Edie and Edun are probably not the same beans, but I just wanted to highlight a loose reach on my ends. Did that make no, sense? I like,
0: I, like, I like all that fan fiction, and I completely agree <laughs> that, uh, that yeah, Ovaldi had a child. Um, and again, right, maybe, maybe Ovaldi had a child named Edie who names his daughter Edun. That, that's completely yeah. reasonable. That's the <laughs> thing that happens. And the other thing that really struck me, that the mouth count of the giants, that they put the gold in their mouth, and we were just talking about how Idun and her apples in that myth completely represents the meat of poetry, which is a golden drink that you you put in your mouth and then you you have wisdom and uh, the gift of the gods, right? So that just like fits on several different levels, right? It's a very strange connection, but
1: yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's going to be good. We're going to try that one day. Oh, we're going to go to like a gas station and buy something and say like, oh, sorry, I don't have enough mouth counts of the giants. Yeah. and. You know, at that point, we'll just like get a gun pointed in our face and, you know, we am trying out.
0: to think of other yeah, fun ways to use that because they're saying it's encrypted it's speech when you don't want a person to quite know what you're talking about. But when, you know, like you want to let people know, you want to let your friend at the bar know that you have a very nice, you know, a uh, goblet at home, but you don't want everybody else to know what you're talking about, that you have a, a goblet made of the mouth count of the giants and everyone else is just, they don't speak poetry, they can't break the code.
1: Yes, of course. We have to start Um, using
0: these in normal conversation, Sean. Yeah, we got to bring these Kennings back.
1: We can try. I'm not going to do a good job of it. So it's not going to be good for anybody. Um, Unless like you are hoping that I fail in doing so, which is probably a lot of people. But anyway, there's uh, two things I wanted to hit on before we move on. One is that the character of Njord, who we discussed as being, um, you know, a Vanir god, the father of Frey and Freya. And then Baldr, who plays a huge role in Nor- in the Norse myths, so I'm not going to get too far into both of these characters, but I am going to read their like kind of sub chapters or mini chapters in Gilfaggnin, which is also found in the prosetta So with Balder, I'll start with him because it's an earlier chapter. In chapter 22, it's called Balder, and it says Odin's second son is Balder, and there is much good to tell about him. He is the best and all praise him. He is so beautiful and so bright that light light shines from him. He is the wisest of gods. He is also the most beautifully spoken and the most merciful. But one of his characteristics is that none of his decisions are effective. He lives in a place called Breedablick. It is in heaven and no impurity may be there. And I believe there was a um, quote um, in the poem Grimness Small that we discussed that discussed Brita Blake.
0: Yeah. What does it mean that none of his decisions are effective? What do you think?
1: I, I don't know because um, I totally forgot that um, the had to mentioned that about him until I reread yeah. it for this episode. And I'm wondering if it just kind of means that um, he has a lot of good virtues like obviously he's like well respected among amongst the gods he's looked at he's physically beautiful he's probably internally beautiful but i'm wondering if like there's some aspect of him that just is not effective like if he was to let's say he was um destined to take odin's throne or something like that or like destined to become the chief deity of the gods maybe there's something there that says he would not be a good leader so it's very hard to say because that's a very vague thing to say about him and well, like, I, I maybe wonder if just it's yeah, like yeah.
0: a little bit of an issue of translation, but yeah, certainly one way I would take it. So, so when I think of Balder is I've tried to make sense of all the gods and how I, you know, archetypally, who are they? That Balder is like the perfect man, right? They talk about like shining light and he's, well, perfect is kind of an unrealistic expectation, right? But he is mm-hmm. perfect. Kind of like Christ is supposed to be, right? Perfect. They talk about merciful, right? With uh, Balder as well. But then that he's, at a point of balance, he's right in the middle, right? We talked about all the problems with Odin, even all the problems with Thor that he's hangry, that he's impulsive, right? <laughs> yeah, but Thor gets stuff done, right? So Balder doesn't get things done because he's too indecisive. He's right in the middle between should I be merciful and love people, should I destroy giants? I can't decide, but Thor, do it, decide for me, right? I think that's probably how I would take that. I always think that Baldur is a great thing, but maybe this is the one problem. This one, uh, his one flaw is that he's he's a little too balanced, he can't actually go accomplish anything that he needs to accomplish yeah
1: yeah it's it's very it's very interesting to think about because like um i I do know in the stories he is looked at as being like the next big thing and like he's like the uh the pride of the acer um so it's going to be very interesting to see like once we get into his stories a little bit further it's going to be very interesting to see like you know what he was all about if anything Um, we'll
0: do an episode on like a balder's dream i know that's a good one
1: Yeah. yeah that's definitely one of the uh the Sort one of the episodes that we're going to have, but um, the reason why I wanted to kind of focus on Boulder at least a little bit for this episode was because he is going to play a huge part, like towards the tail end of our story on Lo- our series on Loki, and he plays a huge part in like the lead up to Ragnarok. Um, no, but
0: but for here, it's important to understand why did Skadi really want to marry him, right? I think that's yeah, makes yeah, sense.
1: because she has a foot fetish and she thought that his. <laughs> he would have beautiful feet. Also. Yeah. Like, I think it is funny back to and her fetishes. It's funny that she laughed at like, you know, um, you know, <laughs> physical pain to Loki's balls. And she tried to choose, she assumes that the beautiful feet belong to Boulder, but anyway, that's no, going to be a discussion. That's for... fair. I,
0: I keep trying to blame it on Loki and say all these weird things are Loki's fault, but maybe it is her thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, she didn't choose to choose the guy, the, uh, her husband based on their feet, but like she just kind of had to work with what she was given. But who knows? Maybe, again, that's another episode for when we ultimately run out of material.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Loki thought that would be her thing, and maybe he picked right. right? That's, yeah. The, we're going
1: well, too that, far, Sean. Huh? That episode in 2028 um, is going to be the fetishes of Skadi, but we can do it then. Or Loki, um, so, maybe.
0: Or my theory that Loki is the, the god of uh, kinks, but
1: well, I don't yeah. know if that's
0: going to take off. Yeah.
1: If there is a god that would do that, it would be him. Um, so anyway, the next chapter in Gilfaganine is actually about Mjord and Skady. So there's a couple bullet points here. I'm not going to quote it word for word. And by the way, I, I looked at, I'm i looking at Jesse Bayek's uh, translation of the That I didn't mention that earlier. So Njord is mentioned as being the third god living in no, who lives in Notan, which, which means the enclosure for ships. He, is, he rules over the movement of the winds and can calm sea and fire. One invokes him in seafar- seafaring and fishing. Njord isn't an Aesir was brought up in Vanaheim, as you mentioned earlier, David. But the Vanir sent him as a hostage to the gods. Um, In return, the Vanir received Honor, who I mentioned last week and uh, earlier in this episode. Um, Njord's wife is Skadi. Skadi wanted to live in her father's old place in the mountains, which is Thrymheim. But Njord wanted to be near the sea. They agreed to stay nine nights in Thrymheim and the next three nights in Notun, they then both speak a verse detesting the other's home, so they both hate each other's home. Um, Skadi hates the sea, Notun, or excuse me, uh, Njord hates the mountains. And then in quotes it says, "Then Skadi went up to the mountains and lived in Thrymheim. She travels much on skis, carries a bow and shoots wild animals. She is called the Ski God or the Ski Lady." Which I wanted to add that there because I know we mentioned that Uller is a ski god. Yeah. So we have two ski gods in Norse pathology.
0: Ski god and the ski goddess. And that I'm sure that's a thing, yeah. In uh, in Scandinavia that they uh hunt while skiing. Right. Yeah. And that uh what is it, the, the biathlon in the winter Olympics, right? Where you ski and then shoot. Yeah. But to us that seems like a strange thing to do. Why do you combine guns and skiing? Right. But yeah, I'm sure it makes sense.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, um yeah. so David, I that was a lot of me talking again. What are your thoughts? Do you what are your what are you? No,
0: I've one other little thought there with uh, Njord, because we'll, we'll talk more about him later, but when he came from Vanaheim, he already had two children, right? So this question of, was he married already to, some, to a woman who is left back in Vanaheim and now he's here in uh, Asgard and they marry him off, right? And it's, it's an unsuccessful marriage, right? Maybe it's an illegitimate marriage. It's also, and that's, that's a theory I'll come back to later when we have a, more of an episode on him, but that also I'm just noticing now how Loki- sets up this trick. Right. It's like you get to choose a god based on their feet. Right. And yeah. what else are you going to do besides pick like the attractive looking feet? You're not going to, and maybe you pick the guy with the roughest looking feet. Cause you know, this guy knows how to run barefoot or something. Right. But otherwise probably <laughs> yeah, not. Every, right?
1: every woman loves the guy that can run bare, that runs barefoot. Right. Dave? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I don't know what they do in New Mexico, that? but
0: yeah, but no, but that you, that, that Loki kind of, you know, that it's a trick, right? That it ends up being Njord, right? If she just picked, if she picked randomly, she'd have a better chance of getting Balder than going for the attractive feet, right? And that whenever you trust Loki, it's going to get you in trouble, right? So there's something there, and then it's this unhappy marriage, right? Where they can't agree if they want to live by the ocean or live in the mountains. That's where I feel like they end up just. I forget if you said this, Sean, that they just end up living in separate houses, so they're like married, but they act like they're not even married.
1: Actually, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I know you mentioned that they, uh, they may have gotten divorced. I, I know I looked it's... it up online, and uh, like I tried to look into it. I don't think there's anything solid from the prosetta and the poetica. If I'm wrong, I apologize yeah. to our listeners, but uh you can make the you can come to the conclusion that maybe they they're a they bit separated or yeah or they decide right. they ultimately do decide to like separate or yeah. something.
0: Right. But then that and, and then this goes back to my theory that I think maybe he's already married, but we'll 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 find out about that later. There's yeah, not and, too many good <laughs> <laughs> evidence on that theory.
1: Maybe but, she just um, really didn't like his feet. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, but, but then that that skatie is this the warrior woman, right? That she's the huntress, right? She's out skiing and hunting. And that she doesn't really need a man, right? She's sort of, that's one of their solutions to kind of appease her for her father getting killed, right? To me, that's what she's the, the goddess of, right? Rather than the goddess of being a wife or a mother mm-hmm. or um, of beauty and things like Idun, right? That she's this independent, huntress woman, which shows that that's Artemis for the Greeks and kind of similar to uh, Athena for the Greeks. So that's an interesting, that's just, yeah, how I kind of look at that, the archetype for that goddess. I said it would relate to this idea about... Um, the the self discipline the you know moderation as a virtue and that's actually i forgot to tie it in when we were talking about um, the idea of sacrifice and all the jokes about uh, loki and loki and his prank and his show that he put on right yeah but but that idea of of sacrificing what, what's the significance of it right besides just yeah that you you sacrifice to gods because your church tells you you have to or something right that what are you trying to teach yourself and what are you trying to accomplish there was a thing i was actually just listening to a it was an episode by Rocco who's at the Waldgarten but he was talking about people's like cognitive biases this you know this the instinct that we want to go for what's easy right we want to go for like seeking pleasure or avoiding pain and why not do that right why not just do you know that you enjoy eating right it's pleasurable so you could just stay in your house and eat right but why go do something difficult like going out and running and burning a bunch of calories it's not yeah. it's not pleasant Ex- exercise isn't isn't pleasant to some extent it's painful but then you have endorphins and things to balance it out right so that idea that you know all these cultures that teach you to sacrifice or trying to teach you this do the hard thing right don't just do the easy thing but that's an important value i wonder what are your thoughts on that i
1: John. mean it, like it's funny and maybe this is not where my mind should go i mean i know i ta- i spoke about my childhood a few times on this podcast um you know i was raised uh you know strict roman catholic and like they, at the end of mass they would always send like around the uh, little box or like the little basket that you put money into yeah. and like I'm not saying it's it's a bad thing that people want to, you know, donate money where they think it should go. But like if you put in like two dollars, it's like, oh, well, I'm here to feel better about, you know, worshiping my God. Um, but like I feel like if you put in two dollars, you know, that's two dollars that you could use for something else. But it's almost just like, okay, well, that doesn't really break the bank for me. And the reason I'm giving it to you is because I know I don't really need it. But it's, it's almost just like kind of like I'm sacrificing this little bit for me more so than anyone else but like if somebody yeah. did go in there and like let's say they were worth $700 and you may like i think you read about read about this in the bible like jesus christ just asking people to say give up everything and follow me and you're going to truly be happy yeah. like if you're worth $700 and let's say you put in $690 into the basket like that's yeah. you know where it's like a true sacrifice and you're really kind of going all in and that's so the I idea. Feel like in, I
0: was gonna say in, in Buddhism right giving up all your worldly possessions and things like that right that's the thing monks do right that that's it means something very substantial right and I had that exact same experience growing up in a church where it's like it feels like you just yeah you throw a couple dollars in there out of obligation or the people are doing it to ease a guilty conscience or something like that right but to that there's something good in that whole idea of sacrifice right but to really do it right that idea you know that uh this is the whole idea of rituals because I've read a little bit about like magic or some of the pagan religions right that you you come up with a thing that you're trying to change about yourself and then you're like I'm really going to do it and I'm either going to you know it doesn't have to be taking a goat and you know an animal sacrifice or anything right it's, that's what it used to be in the old days right but it could just be you do something that's like oh you, you put in a bunch of work you you've, mm. you build this thing you do an artistic creation or something that takes all week or You know, the things I remember when I was in church that actually meant something would be to go to somebody's house and either we were like repairing a tobacco barn or we were uh, building a wheelchair ramp on somebody's house, right? Yeah. And you're sitting out in the sun and it's a lot of work and you could be doing something better on Saturday, but that's what you did, right? And that's to be a meaningful sacrifice versus, yeah, if it's a meaningless sacrifice, it's yeah, why even do it in the first place, right? Any other thoughts you had there?
1: Well, no, and it would make sense. Like if you're, if you're spending your time to like do that and you're like, like kind of spending time to like focus on putting a ramp like in a handy like a handicapped person's house yeah. like that actually probably means something to the other person whereas the two dollars you put into the the basket that comes by at mass probably doesn't do anything
0: right it's fine it's nice it's but it's whatever right and that's yeah maybe, maybe there's something you're supposed to be doing in your mind as you're doing that that makes it significant but if yeah, you're not properly instructed on that or like you said it, I was giving that example earlier, right? If it doesn't hurt, if it's, you know, $2 and you're going to go spend 20 bucks on lunch afterwards, like what did that $2 do, right?
1: Yeah. And so like this, in this case, like Loki was probably like, oh shit, like I need to, I need to be in good favor with the ACR again. So I'm going to hurt my balls with this like gag to make Skatey laugh. And of course, a lot of it with Loki, it may not be as selfless as he wanted it to seem. Like he didn't want to get his bones break, his bones broke. Which is something that always happens. He fucks up, like Thor or the rest of the AC, to say, "Well, you better fix this, or I'm going to break your bones and beat you up." And so he obviously didn't didn't want that. He was like, "All right, well, I'll yeah. sacrifice my balls a little bit." But um, I'm well, not that goes gonna... like Tear.
0: Tear is the Tear is the god who lost his hand as a sacrifice, right? Tear knows. Yeah. Tyr's the god who knows how to sacrifice, right? But yeah, Loki is a Loki puts on a show for everybody. Right? <laughs> Pretty good show. Sure. And. And then my last thought to tie it all together, right? This idea, right? How, how do, why, why does, why, why do we talk about stoicism at all when we're talking about Norse mythology? But it's a quote that I saw this week, and it perfectly describes the wisdom. You have to really look between the lines, and not get too distracted by Loki having a goat tied to his balls to find the wisdom within it, right? You can easily get distracted by that. But this is a message. It's a, a quote from Zeno, who is the founder of stoicism. He said that nothing is more hostile to a firm grasp on knowledge than self-deception. So it's that it's nothing makes it harder to have real wisdom or knowledge than deceiving yourself. It's just yeah. a little quote from him, right? But to me, Loki this has come up multiple times. Loki is the god of self-deception. That's how that's how I define him, right? So when you think about that, are you deceiving yourself, right? Then that Loki's the part of you that's deceiving yourself.
1: <laughs> so then, it's like lose-lose for him.
0: Right. And then the, because you're, yeah, you think that deception is going to help you, but instead you're just more confused you're further away from wisdom than you thought you were right and so that's that idea like taking the easy path right and it seemed easy but it's not just that it, you were wrong to we we're talking about desserts right to eat a, to eat a dessert rather than go out for a walk or for a jog after dinner right but it's also now you're even further away from finding the truth because you're like convinced yourself that was a good idea i deserved a dessert right and all this and now you're not going to convince yourself that no i don't need that and i can go for a run um <laughs> the two-edged sword of self-deception, maybe something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think like, that's where, and I, I like in going to like somebody's health. Like I know you mentioned food with a dessert. Um, I know, like I, I may have mentioned this podcast or you and I have discussed this, like, um, you know, outside of these recordings, like of intuitive eating and intuitive eating. It's almost just like, well, no, you can't really, it's kind of like, it's weird to describe. And I'm sure like other people are using to be able to better do so than I But there's this huge balance. Like, you don't want to just cut something out because you're kind of like prohibiting yourself from enjoying something. But you don't want to just like consume 40 cakes a day because you're probably doing it for a reason outside of the taste at that point. And it's like, not, there's not that balance there. And I can see why with like any character, there's got to be that balance. You can't be like a huge, just a solely a macho man like Thor. Um, Or you can't just be like Odin who like either needs to know everything. So he like sacrifices more and more parts of his body. And like with Loki, you know, it's, it's hard to say if he found his balance with kind of only sacrificing his balls, but maybe there's like also something there of him not being true to himself and like kind of losing that balance as well.
0: Well, and that's interesting. The idea of that Loki is self-deception. He's, he's the manifestation of self-deception. Right. And that you're talking about intuitive eating, right. It says to me, trusting your intuition, right. Learning to trust yourself but how do you know you're not deceiving yourself, right? That's kind of the, that's the balance. And that, so I talked about in my mind, right? That Loki is the God of self-deception that for the, uh, for the Gnostic Christians, so these are the Christians that uh, in the year 100 and 200 that they had ideas on Christianity that then the church rejected. Their idea was that there's God, but there's also the goddess Sophia. And that means in Greek wisdom, right? So there's a goddess wisdom. And, and then we have in the story that the God self-deception has to do something to appease the goddess, right? Who is, is Skadi, right? Mm. But that I think, uh, you know, this is a very metaphorical way this whole myth today of saying that quote from Zeno, that if you want knowledge, if you want wisdom, the worst thing you can do is deceive yourself. There's nothing, yeah, it's by definition, right? There's nothing worse you can do. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. I hope, I hope it all made sense and pulled it together.
1: <laughs> no, I think we did. Anything else, David? Or-
0: no. Guten Abend, Sean. Bis später.
1: Uh, danke, David. Good not, then, <laughs> or good, good not at this point.